listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast, a podcast all about your health and wellness issues that affect you every day. We want to educate, entertain, and maybe make you giggle a little along the way. No annoying statistics or jargon here, just information you can use every day to be healthier, happier, and less boring. All right, here's your host, OBGYN Dr. Ron Eaker. Hey everybody and welcome to another Women's Online Wellness Thirsty Thursday. This is the relaxed version. Do you ever have those days where you just wanted to kind of chillax a little bit and take it easy? Well, that's kind of the way this day started for me. I was in surgery most of the day, so I came home and I was all excited about uh, getting into my porch and just relaxing and taking it easy and not doing a whole lot and I get out on the porch I put on my hat because I was in surgery most of the day and the head covering just kind of messed up my do so I was putting on my hat just relaxing just going out to the porch gonna do the Facebook live from the porch with the puppy in the background and I walk outside and it's about 187 degrees so here I am, back in my man cave. It's all good, it's all good, not a problem. I'm still kind of chilled, kind of relaxed, because we got some fun question and answers tonight. I, I really enjoy these sessions, and I'm hoping my internet stays in place, because I've been noticing a little storm, you know, those afternoon storms running around. I look outside, and there's a beautiful sky over here, and then it looks like Armageddon over here. So. I'm hoping my internet doesn't go out on me. I've got a plan B, as we always should have. So I've got a plan B available. So I'm sitting down, just relaxing in my man cave, which I was outside, but it, I would melt and just turn into a popsicle. So we're not gonna do that. But tonight we are gonna answer some questions and we're gonna talk about a couple of things that might interest you. You saw on there female Viagra, just to wet your whistle a little bit. We're gonna cover that. And a couple of other things that people ask questions about. So hopefully you'll stick around to hear about that. Let me let me take a second too and just take a little personal note. As many of you know, I wasn't here last week, and some of you may know that my mother-in-law passed away. She was 95, an absolute jewel of a person. Every mother-in-law joke you can think of, she proved wrong. She was absolutely an amazing, amazing lady, and I appreciate all the heartfelt comments and people contacted both myself and my wife, and that really meant a lot, and I appreciated that, and I wanted to say that publicly. She was a, a glorious lady who lived a very full, beautiful life and, and gave me the most amazing gift ever, and that was the beautiful lady I call my wife, and gave her the not only life but a role model for the amazing mother and wife that mm -hmm. she is today so i have her to thank for that which is a priceless gift and even in her death she she was just defined dignity and divine defined uh, peace she knew where she was going she was happy about that and she gave that gift to the family. So she is a, just an amazing woman, and that's why I wasn't here last week. 
And again, I wanted to give a heartfelt thanks to all those who expressed their condolences to both my wife mm -hmm. and, and myself. I appreciate that very much. Also, uh, wanted to let you know, in, throughout this, most of you folks have known for the last three or four years we've been doing this, that I really have a special place in my heart for the folks on the Women's Online Wellness Facebook page. You guys really have been <clears throat> a family in many ways. You, you've given me a lot of encouragement. Hopefully we've made a difference and impacted some lives along the way. Well, I want to tell you, and one of the things I've been doing is trying to give you guys extra value and letting you know when things are going to be happening, things we're doing specially for this group. I just wanted to let you know that there's some big changes coming down the pike in my practice. No, I'm not retiring. I'm going to be around. You remember now, I have two daughters, so I can't retire. Those of you who have daughters understand that. Even though one of them's married and they're, they both have jobs, i am still got to work. So I'm not retiring, but there's some big, exciting changes coming down the pike with my practice. And as I have promised, and as I'm going to be consistent, I'm going to let you guys know beforehand. So Monday, I'm going to make a very special Facebook Live announcement to the folks on the Facebook Live group. And I'll give out some more information on the next few days but probably Monday afternoon, I'm going to go live for a few minutes and tell you about some really, really exciting changes in my practice that I think are going to be revolutionary for what we're going to be able to offer women with regards to health care. So just, just hold on to that until Monday when I'm free to make that official announcement. So tonight we want to answer some questions. I love the questions that are submitted. What strikes me as is very interesting is it's not uncommon to have some very common three themes in the messages that come through. Uh, it always surprises me, and it shouldn't anymore, but it still does surprise me that everybody seems to be thinking along a very similar path. So again, I collected a lot of the questions under the similar topic so I'll be, uh, I'll be combining those things and answering a few of those tonight and hopefully providing some really good value to you and being relaxed and laid back. Promise not to get too... Somebody, somebody said something the other day about having too much coffee before I do these. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be relaxed today until I get on a topic that really gets my panties in a wad and then I'm liable to launch off like I normally do. So let's, uh, let's cover a couple of the COVID questions first, but of course you can't, you can't do one of these in this day and time without covering some COVID topics. So one of the first questions I got, and I actually got it from several folks, is essentially to boil it down is what do you think about mask wearing? Do you wear a mask? So I want to, I want to give you my personal opinion. Now, let me make very clear that I am not recommending anything to anybody because the caveat that comes from me in this is it's an individual decision that each person has to make. First of all, throw all the politics out of it. Uh, let me put it this way. There's several caveats that 
I tend to live by. Number one, don't eat any food that you don't have to leave your car for. Wisdom, words of wisdom. You can really go very far just if you do that. Uh, number two, your wife is always more right. You, you know what I'm talking about there. Um, number three, don't wrestle with a pig because you're just going to get dirty and the pig's going to have a great time. Think about that one. And fourth, if a politician uses the words the American people in a sentence, be careful because you're about to get stabbed in the back. I was going to say something else, but we're a rated G group, so just read between the lines. So if you are equating the use of masks with some type of political view, then I'll just say what my granddad used to say, you're just playing a fool because it shouldn't be and it's not for me. When I make that decision for me personally, it's based on science. It's based on what I have interpreted as being useful information. So to answer the question specifically, when I go out, do I wear a mask? Yes, I do. If I'm going to the grocery store, I'm wearing a mask. If I'm going to the bank, I'm wearing a mask. Why? I think the data is very clear that there's a potential that if I happen to be an asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic carrier, it would reduce the likelihood of me infecting someone else. I don't think anybody can argue that in this day and time. Do I think it's going to protect me? Well, probably not as much. I think there's a little bit more gray area in that respect. Do I think it might help reduce the viral load that I might come in contact with? Yes, and that might reduce my risk. So I have made a personal decision based on those simple facts, plus the fact that I've worn a mask almost every day of my adult life for the last 35, 36 years, whether I'm in surgery or whether I'm delivering a baby. And as I thought about the logic of that, I was wondering, well, why do I wear a mask when I'm in surgery? Why do I wear a mask when I'm delivering a baby? If masks aren't useful in transmitting viruses and bacteria and illnesses, why do I even bother? Well, the reality is they are useful. They've been proven time and time again to be useful in those circumstances. Now, obviously, we're dealing with very different circumstances, so it is a somewhat of an apples and oranges comparison. But for me personally, I feel like that the benefits to other folks and myself override, number one, the bad science, and there's a lot of bad science out there. I mean, these folks talking about getting diseases because uh, you're trapping CO2. I mean, there's, listen, if that was the case, there's a lot of surgeons who had been dead a long time ago. I mean, you look at these surgeons who are doing these seven and eight hour operations, uh, they would be dead if that was the case. I mean, let's, let's just be, just some common sense for once. It doesn't happen. Yes, if some people wear a mask, they're going to be touching their face a lot more. And, and I don't want to get into that argument. I, I think that Unfortunately, it's become so politicized and it's become polarized. I even hesitated where they asked to answer this question because people have, have gotten hate mail because they come out and say, 
you should do this or you should do that. Now, I'm not saying the government ought to mandate that. I don't think the government ought to mandate very much of anything. As I said, if you take your health advice from a politician, you need to reassess your life because you're, you're, you're getting information from... I mean, that'd be like me giving ad advice to Steven Spielberg on how to make movies. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. So my advice is to make your own decision and make it based on science, throw the politics out. It has nothing to do with that. In fact, none of this stuff does. And I'm sick, I'm really sick of the polarization that this has created, whether it's going to school, not going to school, whether it's wearing masks, where it's, it's social distancing, if we could just stick to the science, and, and of course, I'll be the first to tell you, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again, the science is evolving. So I don't want to rehash that. I just wanted to answer that one question so you know where I stand personally. But it's dadgummit your decision. Take some responsibility. Make the decision yourself, and then stand by it, but make it for the right reasons. Got a lot of questions about vaccines. Will they be safe? Will they be effective? Uh, from everything I've read, we will probably have a vaccine sometime after the first of the year. Some people have said earlier, I have my doubts based on what I've been reading, but definitely after the first of the year. Already you've got several in phase three trials, which is the final trials. So we're definitely going to have a vaccine. Now, when you ask the question, will the vaccine be safe, the question you should have asked is, will the vaccines be safe? There's going to be several. There's not going to be just one vaccine that everybody uses. There's going to be, there's probably 30 or 35 different ones in process right now. Now, there'll be a first, and there is enough ramping up of production of the ones that are in study now that probably the first one will be the one most people will start deciding whether or not to take. But understand that there's going to be many vaccines and we'll have one probably after the first of the year and then we're going to have several more down the road. And again, whether you decide individually to take it is your dad burn decision. It's not the government. It's not some administrator somewhere. It's the individual's decision. And you've got to just take responsibility for that. You've got to understand as much as you can. Talk to people you trust, people who are knowledgeable, and get their advice. Now, I can't tell you right now because we don't have a vaccine to really analyze. All the data that I've seen so far is promising, both in the efficacy, the fact that it will provide immunity, and the safety. But that might change as these massive studies, these two, three, four thousand person studies come out and uh, we may change that opinion. So again, it goes back to personal responsibility. Nothing substitutes for that. You have to decide if it's right for you and your family. And other people need to respect that decision. Uh, you. I'm not throwing stones at those folks that decide for whatever reason. That's their personal decision. Now, I do have a bone to pick with a, groups like a lot of the anti-vaccine groups that 
put out a lot of false and misleading information because they have an agenda. Uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, but vaccines do not cause autism. They never have. They've never been shown to do that. And I, I don't care how many uh, silicone-infested celebrities come out and say that they do. They're wrong. But that's a whole different story. So there are going to be plenty of vaccines. I tell you what's more exciting to me right now is this issue of monoclonal antibodies. What are monoclonal antibodies? Well, they are, they are antibodies that are produced by white blood cells, plasma cells, B cells, that are directed specifically against the little spike protein on the virus. So these are neutralizing antibodies, which basically means they kill the dead burn things. They prevent them from entering into the cell, so effectively render them worthless. Viruses, unless a virus can get into your cell, it's worthless because the only reason it's pathological, the only reason it causes all the crap that you get is because it gets in the cell, it hijacks the cell's reproduction ability, and it makes billions more viruses. Well, if it can't do that, it's gone. So that's what these monoclonal antibodies do, is they attach to that spike, they don't let it in the cell, so it goes kaput. Well, I think there's a lot of research that's coming out now that is showing very promising results for people using it, not only as prevention, by getting a dose of these monoclonal antibodies in your system, it can be a prophylaxis or prevention, but also as a treatment. And we have a lot of experience now in using those. We've got a lot of experience as anti-cancer drugs. There's a bunch of anti-cancer drugs that are monoclonal antibodies. We have a bunch of autoimmune disease drugs, rheumatoid arthritis, a lot of medications treating certain other diseases. So we've got a lot of experience with these, with these substances. Now, the problem with some of the monoclonal antibodies is the side effect profile. And as you can imagine, when you're treating cancer, you can tolerate a pretty, pretty strong dose of, of side effects because the other side of the coin is not too great. But when you're dealing with something that only has a potential mortality rate of 1% or less, uh, then it changes the, the balance with the side effects. So that's something that's going to have to be very thoroughly investigated. That's one of the reasons we really like vaccines because the side effects of those are relatively small. So you can safely give that to a large number of folks and not have an excessive amount of problems. But the monoclonal antibodies throw a little bit of curve. But be watching for that in the news. Be listening for that term because I think that's going to be parallel hand-in-hand hand with the vaccine that is going to take us one step further towards getting through all this uh, craziness. So that's all I wanted to say on COVID tonight. Again, I wish I, I, one of these days I'm going to figure out how to do this so I can actually not be so distracting to you by sitting here reading all the comments because I, I, I really like to answer those. So my commitment to you is Please feel free to comment and ask questions because I committed, and I think I've stuck to this, of answering and reading every single comment. So uh, feel free to do that, but I don't want to break up what we're doing right here by distracting uh, you and being like the dog chasing the squirrel and going there and looking at and going back and looking at. 
So I'm not going to do that. So I did get a question on some natural solutions for some menopausal issues. So I wanted to touch on that uh, and then we'll get to the Viagra stuff because I know that's what everybody's waiting on anyway. I know you. I know you people. That's what you want to hear. Uh, natural causes or treatments for menopause. We've gone over this a fair amount, but it always serves to repeat because this is the largest group demographic of women in the country. More people are entering in the menopause in this country right now than, than being born. So it is a very valid issue. Well, probably the best group of substances that we use for menopause, and when we say that we're talking about symptoms of menopause, or what we call the phytoestrogens. And that's kind of a misnomer because they're not really estrogens. Phyto means plant, so you would think that that means plant estrogens. Well, no, it really doesn't. Uh, these are substances that are similar enough in structure that they can weakly bind to estrogen receptors and help alleviate some of the symptoms of low estrogen. And these are things like soy and soy products not soy sauce. No, that doesn't qualify. You can't just eat packs of soy sauce and get rid of your hot It'll probably give you hot flashes and make you swell up like a blowfish. So not soy sauce, but soy products like uh, tofu and miso and tempa and all those things that contain soy. There's several herbs that are the phytoestrogens, things like evening primrose oil, black cohosh, there's, it's derived from red clover. There's a couple of products. Uh, all those are directed predominantly against things like hot flashes. There's some evidence that there may be some benefit in vaginal dryness. You know, we have some other natural remedies that we use for anxiety, like St. John's wort. I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because I have probably three or four videos in our collection I know I've got a bunch of PDF files in the file section that go into that in much greater detail, but I also wanted to at least bring that up because it does seem to be a repetitive question that people have. So I'll refer you to some of our old videos where we spent a whole hour talking about natural solutions to hot flashes or other menopausal symptoms and uh, looking at all those alternatives. And just remember, when it comes to things like menopause, it's all about choices and you you always have choices and options it's not either or it's a multitude of different ways of approaching your particular situation the key there is your individualized situation all right well let's talk a little bit about i got actually several questions about libido and a couple of questions about female viagra well let me tell you right from the start there is none. It's not existing. There is no such thing as a female Viagra. What we have seen is two medications that have been approved by the FDA over the last several years that are for what we call hypoactive sexual desire disorder. It's just a fancy word for saying you don't want to do it. And I want, to, I want to delve into that a little bit more because it's critical when you start thinking about these medicines, what they're actually there to treat. Let's first talk about Viagras because I want you to understand why these are not the female Viagra. 
Viagra treats a physiological problem. Erectile dysfunction is largely due to an inability of the blood vessels to dilate, to achieve the erection, to maintain the erection. Well, the Viagra causes those blood vessels to, to uh, engorge and be able to do all that stuff. So it's treating a physiological problem. And that can be secondary to many, many different things. What these two medicines I'm going to talk about do is they affect desire. They don't affect your physiological functioning. They don't affect your ability to achieve orgasm. They don't affect your enjoyment. Uh, well, now I'll take that back. That, that, that may be part of some of the benefits of these things, but you're not treating, you're treating the brain. These medicines are designed to treat the brain. And the brain is a big part of sexual functioning. Believe me, that's a huge part. So that's no small deal. But I think it's very important to understand the difference between when the press and you see a headline, female Viagra, rawr, and you just get all fired up and say, call up Dr. Eakern, I want some of that female Viagra. And sorry, there's just not. But I do think it's important that you understand what these medicines are and what they can do and why or why not you should look into them. So remember that hypoactive sexual uh, or low hypoactive sexual disorder, sexual dis... Okay, it's been a long day. Let me try that one more time. One time only. Hypoactive sexual desire disorder, better known as HSDD. And that is a, and I'll, I'll give you the official problem, because this is the only thing this is approved to treat, and only in premenopausal women. Only in pre, it's not even approved for women after the menopause. So hypoactive sexual desire disorder is low sexual desire, it's the head, low sexual desire, not performance, not lubrication, not orgasm, low sexual desire that causes marked distress, not a little bit, marked distress. Now, I, each person can define what marked distress may be. Now, that's not marked distress necessarily uh, from your partner, it's marked distress in you. That's an important distinction. I, I don't want to slide past that too easily because I see a lot of folks in the office all the time who say, you know, I'm just fine with the way I am, but Billy Bob the sex monkey over there is thinks I'm broken. Well, you know, that, that's, that's kind of a whole different issue, and that doesn't qualify as hypoactive sexual disorder, and hopefully you understand the distinction there. So low sexual desire that causes marked distress, uh, interpersonal difficulty, that may qualify, and is not due to a coexisting medical problem or a psychiatric problem or a relationship problem or the effect of other medications and drugs. So it just basically eliminated all these other things that certainly can interfere with sexual functioning. So you got to rule all that stuff out first, because if all if if you for example if uh, well first of all if you're in menopause 
you should not take these medications because they've not been tested in menopausal women. And we'll talk about the side effects of that. But in premenopausal women, uh, if, you are, if you are having a lot of stress and the stress is the cause of your lack of libido, then these medicines are not going to do a ding-dang-dong thing. Very, very important to understand that. You have to rule out all these other known causes to finally get to the point where you can say it's just a brain thing and these medicines might help activate the center that creates that desire. Hope that makes sense. It's a very important distinction. So the first one I'll talk about is one I can't even pronounce. And it, it, it's called Adia, Adiai, Adyi, A-D-D-Y-I. I don't even know how to pronounce it. I've even heard the rep pronounce it, and it still doesn't make sense to me. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall at the focus group who said, let's come up with a name that nobody knows how to pronounce, nobody can spell, and we're going to put it out there, and hopefully people are going to take it to improve their sexual desire. A-D-D-Y-I. I'm going to just call it Adi because I don't know what else to say. But it, is a, it, it was one of the first drugs prescribed and approved by the FDA for hypoactive sexual dysfunction. I've got a couple of problems with it. It's a daily tablet. You take it every day. Two problems. One is the side effects. Number two is the efficacy. Whenever you take a medication, generally it's a good thing if it actually works. Call me crazy, but I think that is an important constituent of any medication. I think that's a critical factor. When you look at several of the studies looking at this particular mm -hmm. medicine and its effect on sexual desire, and that's, remember that's what we're talking about, wanting it, sexual desire, it only found that it improved sexual desire in 8 to 13 percent of women. So almost 92% or at least 80% of people who took it didn't really see a big improvement. I don't know about you, but that's not great numbers. That's not something that it got really me excited when I saw that. It's like, really? Uh, that's the best this is going to do at, at treating this issue? So 8 to 13% of women in the clinical tr trials benefited, and even some of those uh, minimally. And some of the benefit didn't exist until four to six weeks, and sometimes even eight weeks after taking this. So the, the instructions are to give it eight weeks. If it hadn't helped, probably it's not going to. Well, you know, again, if I had uh, almost any medication, and I say, well... You got to take it, and it might not help in 80% of folks, and it might not help for eight weeks. I mean, you're getting a, getting a hint as to why I don't prescribe a lot of ADI, ADI, ADE. Um, you know, it just it just is not as efficacious as we would normally want to see it. The other part of this picture is the side effects. There is a known side effect of dropping blood pressure, enough dropping blood pressure to make you pass out, 
if you drink alcohol within one or two hours of taking this medication. Wow. <laughs> How's that for a side effect? Well, okay, I could, if I have this glass of wine at dinner and I want to I wanna try to take my pill tonight because I want to be frisky, uh, well, it's that versus passing out versus dropping my blood pressure. Uh, yeah, I could see where that might not be the biggest aphrodisiac. So pretty much you can't drink alcohol within one or two hours of, of when you take this tablet, uh, or you may be doing a face plant. Probably not a big turn on for your partner, just a guess. So that's, that's Adi, 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 Adi. Also taking birth control with it can create some side effects. Well, a lot of premenopausal women are on birth control. Uh, just not a big fan of this, guys. Uh, and my apologies to the drug rep who brings that around to our office. I'm just shooting straight with you. Uh, obviously, I'm not on the uh, speaker circuit for ADI, ADI. And if you don't have insurance, it's going to cost you about $400 for a month's supply. Just saying. So the second one has got a little bit better name just because I can at least pronounce it. It's called Vilesi. V-Y-L-E-E-S-I, and it's the more recently approved, and again, there's an issue with efficacy. There's an issue with it working. When you look at the studies, uh, the ones that I've seen, again, it's about that 8 to 10 percent of people actually saw improvement in their desire. Just, just call me crazy, but I want to see better numbers. I want to see something work better than, than that when it comes to improving desire. And here's the kicker for me, two kickers. Number one, one of the largest side effects is nausea. Again, not a great aphrodisiac. Hey, honey, I'm going to slip into my teddy and throw up and then come back. I just probably not going to set the mood. In fact, some studies showed up to 40% of people experienced nausea secondary to this medication. Not what you're looking for in between the candlelight and the glass of wine, which you can't have with this, by the way. It doesn't make your blood pressure drop out. Uh, but you're you know going praying to the porcelain god after and the second thing with this is it's not something you do every day. So that's a good thing. You only do it prior to the event, but it's a sub-Q injection. You got to stick a needle in your tummy or your... Now, how's that? Hey, baby. Feeling pretty, pretty uh, frisky tonight. How about sticking this needle in my stomach to kind of get things kicked off? I don't know. I, I mean, just that's just not what I think women are looking for to improve their libido. Now, granted, there are some scenarios where there may be some interest in this. There may be some benefits. I have had a couple of folks utilize it personally. And again, this is all anecdotal experience. I've not gotten a lot of good feedback from either one of these. So uh, if you don't have insurance, you're going to pay 
almost $900 for, I think, four injections of this stuff. So depending on how frisky you are, you know, I don't, for, for some folks, that four may last a couple of years. But for other folks, that may be just for a week's worth. So it can get quite expensive depending on your level of participation. But the bottom line is, number one, these are not equivalent to what men are using for erectile dysfunction. Uh, number two, there is limited efficacy. Believe me, if these things were blockbusters and really doing the job, you would have heard about it long before this Facebook Live. Believe me, as rampant as a problem as this is, you would know about it. Every, every carpool line, every garden club, every tennis match, every uh, CEO, every boardroom meeting, uh, would every... Uh, you know, every time the nurses get together at the nursing station, this would be something to be talked about. Well, it's just not that efficacious. And then two, every uh, side effect has to be considered whenever you consider any medication. And to me, hypotension leading to um, passing out and nausea just are game stoppers for a number of folks. So there is my take on these two new medications out there. We have had several videos on libido itself and some other things that you can do, some natural things. There are some prescription medicines. Uh, so I don't want to rehash all that tonight as we've already been going about a half hour. So I refer you back to those videos to get all that information. They're there. Go look at them. If you haven't seen them, they're in the albums under videos or under the files. So go explore and enjoy. Just quick reminder, next Monday, a big announcement about the practice and the direction we're going with that. An amazing value that I guarantee for folks they are going to uh, if, if they're going to see some incredible changes that are going to be targeted towards each and every person uh, and I think it's going to be really exciting so watch for that Monday but until then between now and Monday that's four or five days make healthy choices See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast. To join the conversation, access show notes, and discover bonus content, join our private Facebook community by sending a request to Women's Online Wellness. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, just head over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a review. For questions about the podcast or to get more information, Email Dr. Eaker at R-E-A-K-E-R at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, choose to be healthy.